0: We're joined by uh, David Hoffman in this portion of our program. He's the author of Citizens Rising, uh, Independent uh, Journalism and the Spread of Democracy. The publication comes, uh, came out officially in October of uh, this year. He is president emeritus and founder of Internews, which we will find out about. He's written widely about media and democracy, the Internet, and the importance of su- supporting pluralistic local media around the world. We'll get into talking with him about the topic of independent journalism. It's nice to have you join us on our program. Nice talking to you, Bob. I guess in the beginning this discussion, I've got to ask, what exactly is Internews?
1: Well, it's a, it's a nonprofit organization we formed 31 years ago at the height of the Cold War. And uh, the first things we did was we had these satellite television links between audiences in Russia and the United States, which kind of broke the uh, broke the chill of the Cold War because at that time there was there were no exchanges or communications between us and we just saw each other as enemies and satellite television was a way to for the first time it was a new technology like cell phones are today it was a way to breach the wall and and have uh, citizens talk to each other It had a huge impact uh, on events that followed. And then since then, we've been really developing, since the Soviet Union fell apart, we've been developing independent media in something like 90 countries around the world because we really believe you can't have a functioning democracy if you don't have many radio stations like the WNOW.
0: When you talk about the idea of having independent um, journalism, As an active entity uh, these days, Mm -hmm. we also have to talk about with, you know, the advances in technology. Basically, the theory is anybody can be a journalist or become a reporter. You know, this isn't like things used to be uh, in this country where it was a very select group of people who potentially could report on an event ongoing. If you've got a camera phone, can't you become a reporter?
1: yes and and uh, thousands and thousands of people are i actually think it's a good thing some of my journalist friends you know are really worried that we're going to dumb down journalism too much because you have untrained citizens reporting on the news or that you know they won't verify their facts or do what professional journalists are trained to do and i think there is a danger to that to some degree but to another degree, I think it's absolutely wonderful to get more people participating in, in covering the news. It, it gives us, the consumer of news, many greater opportunities to, see, you know, to get the news. And frankly, it's getting hard to get into certain places where only citizens can go. Like when the, when the Arab Spring started in Tunisia, there were no foreign correspondents in Tunisia. And so the world had to depend on these citizen journalists to report back the news and send them what was happening. And I think in the end, all of us have become better informed because of these changes.
0: When we think about what the future holds, and you know, we used that term democracy earlier in this Mm -hmm. discussion. In the future, is it going to be a situation where basically— democracy is only going to come to people who have access to mobile devices?
1: Interesting question. Um, I hope not, although I think that what, we're going to, what we have now is, particip- is, is representational democracy. We elect our congressmen and they pass the laws. I think that social media is going to give us an opportunity to have more direct democracy. There are some experiments going on uh, using that. Um, I forget, I think it's in Latvia or Lithuania, one of of those countries where people are able to use their cell phones to propose new legislation. And when a a certain number of people, I think it's 10,000 people, have supported the proposal for a new law, the parliament is required then to at least vote on it. That's one of many experiments I think we're going to see with social media.
0: Now, when we have that discussion about the um, changes that there are taking place with journalism, very often the term is used that you mentioned earlier, this idea of basically dumbing down uh, the news. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you said that earlier and said that is a concern among some people who have been in media, and I'm assuming it's people who have been in it for some time. Yes. As you said that, the cynic in me said, well, wait a minute. Can it be actually be dumbed down much more than it already
1: is? (laughs) It's a good question, and um, you know, I think I think certainly when it comes to television news, it hardly could get worse. You know, radio is still terrific, and um, and print journalism is has declined. I think in, in in many serious ways. But what I keep asking myself, and I ask other people who question the changes with the media is, are you better informed today? Do we have more choices today to get news and information? And I think we are, we are vastly better informed than we were before. And I think when you look at, look at countries where there's been a lot of criticism of the censorship and whatnot, like China, but, you know, Chinese citizens today have access to information that would have been inconceivable just a decade or two ago.
0: But, you know... The other issue that comes up in discussion is this whole impact, speaking of technology, of the internet. You know, th- this yeah. ability to access basically any information that's available online pretty much at any time, so long as you have an internet connection. Mm-hmm. Is this changing the way in which? First of all, what's news is actually determined, and then secondly, the way in which news is actually covered. I think so.
1: I do think so. And, you know, we're on a, we're on a 24-hour cycle. I mean, all of us as consumers of news in this country or in, in um, the industrial democracies, we suffer from too much information. But there are vast parts of the world that live in what I call information poverty. And this Internet revolution, I think, is going to change the world as much as any other movement in history. I think we're going to see it. I see it as a kind of egalitarian movement, uh, like the attempts to create equality through democracy or socialism. There have been these various attempts to create egalitarian systems. But the wonderful thing about the Internet and and the information revolution is that if if someone else becomes more information-rich, it also enriches me. So there isn't the win-lose situation you have in in some other systems. So I I think overall it's going going to be a really good thing and and a good thing for, for the
0: world. And when we talk about the traditional forms of media with the technology, yes. with mm-hmm. the advances that there have been, with mm-hmm. things like the internet, with you know, the mm-hmm. advances with mobile phones and the like. Are the traditional forms of media basically going to disappear?
1: Well I sure hope not. You know, I, I keep worrying about the day when the New York Times doesn't exist anymore. And that would be a huge loss. I think what we're finding, though, uh, just recently, is that you have some of these billionaire philanthropists coming in and and filling a void that has developed because of the loss of, you know, there's been a tremendous loss of advertising. When you can advertise for free on Craigslist, why would you put an ad to sell your automobile in a newspaper? So uh, it's lost tremendous revenue because of the changes in the Internet, because of what the Internet offers. And so newspapers are in trouble, particularly. And, and, but I think that, the, uh, that we're going to see some important new changes, and probably the traditional media, print, radio, television, are going to look a lot different. But I think they'll actually be better. The organization that I founded called Internews, we train, we've helped start, we train 150,000 journalists around the world, and we also have helped start about 10,000 radio and television stations. And one of the most important things we do is we work in underdeveloped areas, is we have been able to enhance traditional media through the use of these new technologies, They are now able to share information, get information, sort it, manage it, and um, make use of a lot of these new technologies to improve traditional media. This is particularly true in radio, by the way.
0: When you talk about the idea of, you know, the independent journalists basically being at the forefront of social change as we move Mm -hmm. forward, is there also a need to... For them to kind of walk a fine line because Oh yes.
1: Journalists different,
0: the problem, yeah. Journalist probably journalist versus advocate versus yeah. advocate. Right.
1: Yeah. No, that is that is a big problem. I have to admit that is a problem. Um it is interesting though. If you look at the big social movements that have convulsed our world, yeah giant demonstrations in Brazil and Chile and Portugal and Spain and, you know, you name it. It's hard, to, it's hard to name a country that hasn't been convulsed by these big citizens' movements. Almost every one of them. I actually can only think of one, um, one example, Chile, that is not being led by, by journalists or media activists. So in my book, Citizens Rising, I'm mostly describing how media activists who played a key role in political and social change Going back to the fall from the fall of the Soviet Union, it's 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 something that hasn't been recognized before by historians or policymakers. But this is not unusual for media activists to play this role. But you asked about the contradiction between uh, objective journalism, which is what we strive for as journalists, and advocacy and um, I think I think there is a contradiction there, and it's, it is a very fine line. And the, the better the media activist is at being objective, I think he's going to be more. They're going to be more effective. Let the ships fall where they fall. If you're really objective, I think you're going to be on the right side of history.
0: Your book, Citizens Rising: Independent Media and the Spread of Democracy. I didn't ask you earlier in our discussion. What was the experience like for you in doing the book, first of all, and secondly, yeah. why did you do it at this point in your career?
1: Ah, great question. Um, boy, writing a book can be a very lonely, hard experience. <laughs> I, I wrote this. And really, I mean, I was on the floor uh, in fetal positions at various times when um, <laughs> my editor and my wife said, "You got to cut five thousand words from that chapter." And I believe <laughs> me, I have spent I have spent too much time on the floor um, bemoaning that. And um, why I wrote it? Well, I really wrote it for two reasons. One is personal, and one's political. The the personal reason is that I love to tell stories. I love this the and most of the people in the book. Are people that i 've known, not all of them, but most of them, and I just love their stories they I just they blow me away I love them i so I love reading The New Yorker. I love reading about amazing people doing amazing things, and these media activists have done some amazing things that haven 't been recognized it's, These are untold stories, and the other the political reason is. I used to be national director of the anti-nuclear war movement back in 1979, 1980, and I realized that the only force that was strong enough to meet the challenge of the threat of nuclear war was the media. Nothing else could reach that many people, and we began doing these satellite exchanges that would reach 200 million people at a time. It was a very powerful force, and I I began to recognize that... Although media was so important in each of these major historical events of our lifetimes, that you wouldn't find it in the history book. You might find a little footnote. And policymakers were not taking this into account. So I remember once talking to the head of the Foreign Relations Committee, my friend Lee Hamilton. I said, You know, you'd never run your election campaign without a media strategy, yet you're running the, the um, foreign policy of the United States without a media policy. So I wanted to focus on that, on the people whose stories were so great and on the power that they brought to change history.
0: Final question for you, and to some of the folks listening to us, this will sound like it's coming out of left field, but there's a reason why I'm asking this question. Okay. This month of uh, November 2013, toward the latter portion of the month there will be a tremendous focus it's already started in media in this country to some extent around the world but especially in this country uh, focusing on the 50th anniversary if we can call it that of the assassination of the 35th president of the United yeah. States John F Kennedy all right yeah uh, Time magazine has a, uh, mm-hmm. a special issue out there are a number of different publications As I'm talking to you, because I remember many different things about that day and the coverage of that event and how that impacted my interest in this field of journalism. Mm Yes. My question to you is, how different might our perception have been had there been more in the way of independent journalism and in, independent journalists active wow. at that time. I know. Well, it's, it's, a, a, it's a big question. A power,
1: no, it's a powerful question. I mean, I'd never thought of that before. Um, and I can hardly believe it's been 50 years. That's just stunning. Uh, I can still feel myself standing in my my mother's bedroom when Walter Cronk came, came on the news and told us that the president had been killed, which was just... Shocking! Great question. I'm going to have to give this some thought. But you know, there there was so so whether or not it was a conspiracy, you know, whether or not Oswald killed the president by himself, we certainly were manipulated in terms of what information we had. The Warren Commission report was a whitewash. I can't, you know, I don't know, and we'll probably never know. I keep hoping that maybe in heaven we'll be told you know what really happened. But one thing we could be sure of, we know enough to know that the Warren Commission report was not well done, that many, many witnesses were not interviewed that should have been interviewed. and So, you know, if we had had social media at that time, there would have been much greater uh, forensic evidence from all the photographs that would have been taken, many more photographs that would have been taken, and I suspect there would have been much better investigative journalism than went on at the time, because at the time there was almost nothing. All the, the uh, questions that were raised about the assassination and Oswald and Ruby and all that came afterwards. You didn't get much contemporary reporting that was, would be like the kind of contemporary reporting today. Plus, who knows what Edward Snowden would have revealed <laughs> about what was really happening.
0: Right. Amazing um, thoughts, and it's one that had come into my mind when I first was approached with the idea of uh, having this discussion with you today. So I appreciate you indulging me on uh, answering No, that I appreciate question.
1: the question. The question's great. I'm going to be thinking about it all night
0: now. <laughs> David Hoffman, who's the author of Citizens Rising, Independent Media and the Spread of Democracy, uh, founder, president emeritus of Internews talking with us on our program. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing your perspective. Um, I think it's an important discussion and an interesting one. And also thank you for giving us some things to um, think about as we move forward. The best with the book and uh, with your work. it
1: was a delight. It was really a delight. I hope we can do this again someday.
0: We shall. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Good. Thanks. Bye-bye.